All right, we do. Uh, I was glad that Ari uh, thanked the Lord for the Roe v. Wade decision. Um, we know, of course, just as a reminder, that our trust is certainly not in the political process. Uh, we do not put our reliance in that. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, we do give thanks to the Lord. We're glad and rejoice when righteousness is exalted because it exalts our nation, right? That's what the Bible says. Righteousness exalteth a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. And even to this day, right now, David informed me because David is informed that, uh, you know, 13 states have essentially outlawed uh, abortion and Last week this time, women were killing their babies, and this week uh, they're not in those states. And that's a blessing. And uh, so thank God for that. That's a, that's a you know, a real-life benefit. You know, some, some kids, some people uh, will be born. And in fact, I saw a meme the other day that I thought was really um, to the point. If I could remember what it says, of course, I'm the worst at forgetting punchlines, although this isn't a joke. But, but it said some, someone right after the decision came down and some states that had these trigger laws that went into effect upon the overturning of Roe v. Wade, you know, abortion was immediately outlawed at that moment. And some of, some of them other ones, some of the other states, such as Texas, uh, they had a, a, a law outlawing abortion, but it had been... Uh, had an injunction against it on the basis of Roe versus Wade in the federal court. And, of course, they reversed those injunctions as a result of the overturning of Roe versus Wade, and so it was essentially a trigger. And, uh, anyway, the meme said, uh, and rightly so, that, you know, today there, you know, 30 years from today, someone, you know, someone might, one of those babies that would have been, would have been killed might, you know, might do something to change the world for, for the good. Uh, so, um, so thank God for that, um, you know, a little bit of uh, mercy. And, of course, we know, and we're going to see it today. So keep in mind these, and I know that the United States is not the focal point of biblical prophecy. We've been studying biblical prophecy as it relates to the second coming of Christ. The United States is not the focus of biblical prophecy. Israel is the focus of biblical prophecy. However, uh, there, it is a, an undeniable fact that in the United States, there are uh, a very high concentration of God's people in the world. Uh, that's, just a, that's just a fact as a result of freedom, history, and you know, the prevalence of the gospel in the United States over the past several hundred years. Uh, so a lot of what we read in the scripture that deals with um, the prophecy is written to God's people. And so obviously it's going to intersect with, you know, with God's people as such as our church and others. Um, and uh, as, as it relates to prophecy, you know, you think of the seven churches of Asia uh, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. I want to cover those. In fact, that deals directly with the coming of the Lord. There's parts of that that are very, very applicable but the seven churches, the, the letters to the seven churches of Asia are written to whom? They're written to churches. They're written to Christians. So, I mean, we can talk about, and I know they're Christians in every country, but 
but if a letter is written to churches, it is going, therefore, it is going to have a, you know, a, a profound effect upon our country because our country has a high concentration of Christians. That's just the way it's, the way it's uh, divided up at this point in history. It hasn't always been this way, but uh, it is now. So, but one thing you do see is, is what, we're going to read, what we're going to read today it does absolutely overlap with what we read in the Scripture because you consider, I don't know if any of you followed the, uh, some of the fallout where our own leadership has been undermining the function of our own government. Uh, the President and the, even the Secretary of State, which has nothing to do with, you know, nothing whatsoever to do with domestic policy, but he puts out a statement about Roe versus Wade. The president disparages the Supreme Court. Members of Congress are t- talking about illegitimacy because the court makes a decision which is, if anything is legitimate, what they decided was legitimate. And then you had, but what I'm trying to get to is then you had all these other countries, Canada and France and, and Germany and all these other countries, you know, opining about how, you know, they don't, probably don't even understand what the decision did, but, the, you know, talking about how bad it is and, you know, all of these things. And, but the point is, is it, it spreads for even, of all countries, even China had something to say. Even China had something to say about it. Here's the point. In our day... These ideas and philosophies that undergird these wicked acts are spreading the world over. Absolutely, they are spreading the world over. Um, in Cambodia, as an example, abortion is not a is 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 no big deal. It is not even a, a matter of consideration. Of course, unless you're a Christian. One of the ladies in our church before she became a Christian, had an abortion. And after she received Christ, uh, we, you know, she, she brought up the conversation to us. Uh, she brought the matter up and said, you know, this is, what, this is what I did. And she felt a lot of guilt as a result of that. But generally speaking, it's not a thing. It's not a thing anybody says boo about. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's true in a lot of countries. And, but what is that? There's a basis to that underneath, that you know, philosophical support system that says you can kill your child and it doesn't matter. It's not really a human. It's not really alive. Whatever, you know, whatever my. But that that philosophy, which is rooted in, of course, evolution, a lot, a lot of things, those ideas have permeated the world over. There are exceptions, but generally speaking, I know in Europe. You know, those ideas are, uh, you know, are prevalent in, uh, in Asia. Those ideas are prevalent. So, therefore, what we read in the Bible today, although we see, of course, we see those things which are nearest to us, right? But a lot of these things are also prevalent in other places, and that's what I wanted to, to point out. Let's pray, and then we'll uh, get into, um, I'd like you to turn to 2 Timothy and I will, uh, I will turn to Matthew 24 and read a couple of verses just as a matter of, re- of review. And then uh, we'll look at 2 Timothy, and hopefully we can finish with 2 Timothy and a few other verses uh, this morning. 
So turn to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for everyone that's here this morning who has made an effort uh, to meet with your people, to meet with you. And I pray that would, be, that would truly be our, um, our desire and uh, what we know and experience here this morning at our church service. Lord, please meet with us. And send your spirit to um, walk in and out among us and to uh, search our hearts. Give us understanding. Lord, help me to teach this lesson uh, according to your will. And I pray to help each and every person listening, Lord, to receive uh, the truths, Lord, and take them seriously. Lord, there are some very important things in these passages of Scripture that we'll read. Help us to take them seriously. In Jesus' name. All right, Matthew 24, of course, I won't, I, won't, I won't rehash, at least not this week, the, the context of Matthew 24, but suffice it to say the Lord is describing the time period that will lead up to His second coming, and you have basically three uh, sections in Matthew 24. You have what is called the beginning of sorrows, verses 5 to 14, then you have great tribulation, verses 15 to 28. And then you have its actual coming, second coming, the advent, the second advent of Christ, described in verses 29 to 35. So the beginning of sorrows, as we talked about last week, describes general conditions, not specific signs, but general conditions that become more and more evident and prevalent as the time in, uh, that the Lord returns draws closer. Again, there, you, it's not a specific event that says, you know, it talks about many earthquakes and famines and pestilences and those kinds of things. And those happen here and there and here and there. And they're kind of on the increase. And may, maybe, I, I don't know that there's so much on the increase in, as much as the knowledge of them is on the increase. In other words, the news of them spread so easily in our day. And so we know that, you know, look, the arrow is only pointing in one direction. We are getting closer to the coming of the Lord. How do I know that? Well, because, because yesterday we're further away from His coming than, than we are today. And, and tomorrow we'll be closer than we, were, we are today. And so, uh, so as we approach that day, the conditions will become more and more like what we see in the Scripture. And so Matthew 24 and verse Number five says this, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. He says plainly, the end is not yet. The end is a reference in Matthew 24 to His coming. The end of, not the end of the world as in the world ceases to exist, but the end of the world as it exists now. And it's in the world, the world system as it exists now with human government and all of that. And the end is marked by that time when the Lord returns and all of that stops and His reign, his reign begins. And so the end of the world is um, he says in the, what I just read that the end is not yet. In other words, these things will increase, but it, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. So again, we're talking about general conditions that are prevalent. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This know also, 
that in the last days perilous, that means dangerous, uh, times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. All right, so this is a description of, now notice verse 1. We don't want to just pull things out of thin air. Look, remember, look at the context. What is this a description of, of what time period? Last days. All right, that is obviously a description of the time period as the coming of the Lord approaches. Now, are we in the last days? Well, that's really up to, it was definitely future in Paul's time because he says there shall come perilous times. So that's future. But in our day, I think, I think most of us would agree that this, this is describing more and more what we observe. Okay? And we covered that a little bit. Uh, we can do, just as a way of review, we can uh, describe and uh, kind of categorize a lot of these things here into basically a few different, um, a few different kind of uh, groups. You have issues that deal with uh, self, which deals with conceit and pleasure. You have things that deal with pride, high-mindedness, and of course the mention, the direct mention of proud. And then you have the intentional, active opposition to good, which is also described here. So I'm going to go through this list, or at least some of the things in this list, really very quickly to kind of, to kind of um, examine the definitions of these things as it relates to what we see. And, and of course, we're not talking about, you know, you know, naming the date and the time that the Lord's coming, you know, and all that kind of things and selling a book about it and that kind of thing. So, but I do want to describe these things and point out how these things are manifested because we are approaching these, these times for sure. Again, these are general conditions. Nobody can look at these conditions and the state of society, not just in our country but in other countries, nobody can look at this and say, well, Jesus is going to return here or there. Nobody can say that. These are, again, general conditions. But as they're prevalent, what it does is it builds in us, as we read these things, it builds in us kind of anticipation. We start to see, no, these things really are happening. And, you know, these things probably were not, probably were not as obvious to someone that lived in, say, the 1850s compared to our day. Uh, they're becoming a lot more prevalent. And I hope to kind of demonstrate that to you looking at some of these things. The first thing I want to point out is the word boaster. Boaster, having little regard for the wisdom of those before you. A presumption that one's own wisdom is something that has been newly discovered. Right? Now, think about what you see and hear in society. Think about what you see and hear in the world. Think about what you see and hear in churches. And we're going to get to that in a minute. Blasphemers. People that have hubris 
or boldness, brazenness to lightly speak against things, things that are, that are high and important, including God himself. I mean, look at the, at, at the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is the highest court in our country in a land of 330 million people. What the Supreme Court says, like the president and like the Congress, is important, right? It is an authority structure that is to be respected, whether you agree with them all the time or not. It is to be respected. Remember, all power, Romans 13, what does it say? All power is ordained of God, all right? So not, not every decision the Supreme Court says is not of God, is not in, a, in, a, in agreement with God's word. However, the authority given to that uh, institution is of God. That's why it's there. That's why it's there. And yet you see people in the fallout of this decision saying the most profane and vile things, cursing the Supreme Court because the court made a decision they didn't like, but they do it so lightly and spray paint it on things and, and with, as graffiti. Just lightly blaspheming High, high and important institutions like that. Just like it's nothing. When you witness to people, if you go to a place like downtown Greenville, I've experienced it myself 20, 25 years ago. People come up to you and, and blaspheme the name of God, the name of Christ to your face using curse words. I know, I know David has, has experienced that and I've experienced it personally. Just lightly speak evil of that. You know, it hasn't always been that way. There was a time in history, in our country, when things of, of importance had a certain veneration to them. And even if you did not agree, even if you did not like God, you did not lightly say things like that, right? And some of you remember that time. And, and even in my lifetime, which is definitely not as, 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 uh, as long as some of your lifetimes, but even in my lifetime, that's been the case to some degree. That is less and less, and that is observable. It also mentions disobedient to parents, and this goes back to boasters. Again, such little regard for the wisdom of those that have gone before and the authority structures which existed when they were born. Right? Your parents, our parents, that is the authority structure given to us by God, that we were born into. We had, it, it existed before we existed, and it was, it was put there as an, an authority structure to guide us and to teach us the, the right way, right? That's the intention. Utter contempt for those, those, those structures. See, what I'm trying to do is examine what's behind disobedient to parents. It's not just a matter of not doing what they say. This deals with people as they go into adulthood. Just totally just obliterating everything that they were taught by their parents. Just it has no value whatsoever. This is exactly what people... Why do you think so many kids are going into college and whatever faith or morals they were taught by their parents are just being wiped away at a university? Those are the people that are spraying graffiti these days. Those are the people. Unthankful. They see no benefit. They cannot see any benefit that's been given to them. 
They deserve everything they receive and they had it coming. I mean, ask yourself, is this prevalent or not? Without natural affection, the normal feeling and sentiment that most people possess is absent. This shows that in previous times, it says without natural affection, that means there, there was a time when there was natural affection, where it was normal, even for profane, lost people, to have a certain level of affection that is normal. No more. False accusers. To deliberately falsify what others say and do to achieve desired ends. Just ask yourself, how many times have you heard people deliberately mischaracterize things to achieve their end? It's just, it's just, I mean, I listen to my daughter. Again, I mentioned this last week, but she works at Belt. The things that people say to her are just, just nuts. Incontinent, without restraint. They see no need to say no to themselves or to restrain their appetites. Despisers of those that are good. This is an actual and active contempt of that which is right. As, as I said before, in previous generations, it's not that the good old days, everybody was, everybody was a saint. That's not the case. And those of you that lived in what is called the good old days, or maybe your parents lived in the good old days, can testify to that fact. That's just, that's a, just an imagination. That's just fantasy. But there was at least a, re, a respect and veneration for good even if oneself was not good. And that, that's, you could still find that here and there, but definitely it's becoming less and less. How many of you have experienced contempt by someone else as a direct result of either being a Christian or trying to live right? Yeah, it exists. I mean, I'm not talking, I mean, when I was in the Marine Corps in the early 2000s, you know, Generally speaking, and that's just, that hasn't been that long ago. It's only been like 20 years ago. But when I was in the Marine Corps in my unit, you know, when people talked to me, and, and they would catch themselves saying foul language, and, and sometimes they would, oh I'm, oh, I'm sorry, you know. But anymore, that's less and less. They're just letting it fly, even though they know where you are and what you, what you believe and what you try, how you try to live, and sometimes even going further than that and actually actively hating it. Heady, self-willed and headstrong, will not accept no for an answer by anyone. I mean, a Supreme Court makes a decision, illegitimate, right? High-minded, one's own opinion is esteemed right because one holds it. Wise in one's own conceits. Again, this is the same thing. It's belittling the wisdom of others or the possibility that others might be better informed or more experienced. I see this, and I think of el I think of not, maybe not elderly people, but I think of people people that are aged, parents, grandparents. I mean, this generation. I, I honestly, I, I just sometimes I just I'm just dumbfounded. This generation that is coming up, that are adults now, even my generation. 
have just so little respect for those that live before them. Maybe not even their parents or grandparents, but even those wise kind of sages and, and intelligent people that lived throughout history, just, just like nothing. Just like they had no value at all. Isaac Newton and, and Pascal and, and these people who, who were intelligent people that have built the foundations of what we call modern society. Just, just nothing. Just useless. I'm speaking of my own generation here. Lovers of pleasures. This is the highest moral good in their view. This is why you killed your baby. This is it. Willing to do anything to satisfy your own pleasure. And really, this is the basis of many, many evil decisions that they make. Now, I want to ask you a question. Does this not characterize what we see with our own eyes and hear with our own ears more and more and more? I'm not trying to be sensational. But do you not see and hear it personally more and more? Is it now the same as it was 40 years ago? Ask yourself honestly. Is it, is it the same or is it different? What do you think, Rita? Is it the same or is it different? It's different. I think everybody who has the experience of, of 40 years would say it's not the same. 40 years wasn't paradise, but it's not as it is now. Why? Because we're moving ever closer to the coming of the Lord. God told us these would be prevalent in our time. Does that mean Jesus is going to return tomorrow? No. But these conditions persist. And then we saw in verse number five, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of it. And this is striking to me. Again, religion is not excluded. These people that have these characteristics that become more prevalent are not people that are, are necessarily uh, people that do not have any religion. No, these people have a veneer of religion. Therefore, here's what, here's what we need to understand. We should expect that we're going to see these conditions in churches. And it's true. It is happening. It is absolutely true. There is a veneer of self-righteousness. Look at verse 7. Or verse 6, For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. Again, still describing these same people. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Ever learning. Knowledge increasing. I'm just reading the text here. Ever learning. That means the amount of knowledge is increasing while the distance from the truth at the same time is increasing. More knowledge, less truth. More knowledge, less truth. More knowledge, less truth. I mean, just think about it as a matter of history. The T-Model Ford came out in what year? Does anybody know off the top of your head? Joseph, I'm looking at you. Nineteen oh eight is when it was first released. 
You know how long ago that was? That was 114 years ago. Human history, if you count human history at 6,000 years, that means we've had the car for 1.4% of human history. For 5,886 years, people used horse and buggies and ox carts and things like that. Only in this small, tiny, little sliver of time in which we live, the car has been invented. The internal combustion engine, which was the, what the T-models claimed to fame was. The airplane, the train, which the train was a little bit before, admittedly. All of those things have happened in, in a relatively recent period of time. And it has, I mean, m- most of what we know of is common was absolutely unheard of, even in my lifetime. The idea that you could talk to someone on a screen, live, was stuff they had in Star Trek when I, after I was born. And now it's nothing in my lifetime. Much more in many of your lifetimes. Has knowledge increased? It's increasing exponentially. Look at Daniel chapter 12. I've got to hurry. So if you turn fast, I will read fast, teach fast. Daniel chapter 12. Verse 3. When you have time, look at the context. Because the context is the day of the last days. The judgment is, the, is mentioned. But verse 3 says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Notice that, the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Speaking of the time of the end, the latter days, nearing the time of the Lord's return, which we know now from the New Testament revelation, knowledge shall be increased, people to and fro. I mean, that's, that's our description. You hop on an airplane, and you're, over, you're, over, you're on the other side of the world in 24 hours. Knowledge increased. That is the time in which we live. This is a biblical, it's a fulfillment of a biblical prophecy. It is recent. It is modern. It is exactly what God said would happen. Now go back to 2 Timothy and look at chapter 3 again. Look at verse 13. says this again. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Again, a description of this is religious delusion on the increase. It's going to get worse. That's what the verse says, right? Does it say that? Yes. It's going to get worse. Religious delusion. We've already read Perilous Times. Matthew 24 has the general conditions, earthquakes, pestilences, famines, wars, on the increase. Knowledge on the increase. 
Look at chapter 4, verse 3. Another statement of the conditions. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Is this present or is this future to Paul's time? Look at the grammar. It's future to Paul's time. The time will come. This is a description of, again, another description of a future period in which general conditions persist. And these conditions are consistent with Matthew 24, well, especially consistent with the first five verses of chapter 3, perilous times. But these things are religious matters, right? False teachers, people wanting, they're selectively choosing who they want to listen to because they want to hear a particular message. Eaching ears, right? Turning away from the truth. Look at Second Thessalonians, if you would. Chapter number two. Verse one. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 mentions the coming of the Lord. Verse 2, That ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Obviously, the coming of Christ is the context. And we are going to look at these verses in detail later, but for right now, I just want to point out one thing. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, this day of Christ, shall not come, except there coming a falling away first. So as the time of the, as the period in which the Lord comes, as that approaches, there, the Lord says plainly, there's going to be a falling away. A falling away. And we've already read in 2 Timothy, turning away from the truth. A falling away is an apostasy. That is, people once held to the truth who no longer hold to the truth. That's what's being described. That's what it means to fall away. You are once with the truth. You turn away from the truth. This is churches here. These are Christian, Christian people right? Quote, unquote, Christian. They held to the truth. They fell away from the truth. This is our time. This, this is a description of churches in our day. And the Lord says in here that it will happen before the Lord returns, does it not? That's what it says. God has predicted these times. We are in these times. Now we, I don't know at what, to what measure we're in these times, because again, these are general conditions, but we are there. We are there. We are, we are there right now. Everything that we have read that described the last, the last days, perilous times, be it Matthew, 2 Timothy, what have you, 2 Thessalonians, every description describes our world. Now, I can say a lot of other things, but I, I just want to, make, I want, to, want to say this. Therefore, here's the thing I want you to understand. For, these, for this reason, because of what the Scripture says, we should expect more of this. It's only going to get worse. I, I hate to break it to you, but a mass worldwide, worldwide revival that people talk about is not on the horizon. 
God tells us what is going to persist before the Lord returns. It's more of this. That's sad. Number two, we should expect people will be turning from the truth. Now look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 again. But God has an answer. Listen to me, please. I want you to get this. God has an answer for these times for us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 14. In this context, in response to these conditions that are future in Paul's day, he says this, verse 14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, Continue thou. Look at 2 Thessalonians again. Verse 15. Chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 15. Again, in the context of the coming of the Lord and the conditions that are prevalent at that time. Verse 15, therefore, brethren... Stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or by our epistle. Here is God's exhortation to us as we are in the last days, scripturally. He's saying everything around us is changing. Society is getting more wicked, and this is not just an illusion. Objectively, this is happening. God said it would. The religious scene is getting worse. This is our day. People are departing from the faith. Biblical doctrine, they're leaving. This is our day. And God says in response to this, as everything around you changes, you continue in the truth that was delivered to you from the beginning. Now listen, I know styles, you know, in the 70s, they wore bell bottoms and whatever. Styles constantly change. But here's the thing. The core scriptural truths that undergird what we believe and the way we live must not change. Even as the religious scene changes, even as the world changes, even as everything around us changes, as we rush toward the coming of the Lord, it just gets getting more and more and worse and worse. Listen, God says, continue in the things you've heard and that you've been taught. That's the scripture, right? He says, hold the traditions. In other words, we talk about the old way. I'm not talking about, you know, whether we wear, what color suits we wear, anything like that. I'm talking about hold the traditions and the truths of the Scripture that, they've, that Christian people have held from the beginning. That does not change. And listen, this is a strong argument. Listen, there's all these movements. I was talking to Pastor Stewart about the Acts 29 movement. Some of y'all might have heard of it. There's movements popping up, and they're all, they're all different. They're changing, and they, they get their foot in the door with, you know, modern, more relevant, you know, method, modes of worship and such like that. And, you know, it attracts people to it. But listen, the end of those things is actually a departure from the truth. That's what we have to understand. 
Because as these things pop up, they pop up consistent with the conditions that the Scripture outlines. And God says, what, what do you need to do? Hold fast to the truth of God's Word that you have received and been taught from the beginning. That has not changed. And again, you got to make a distinction between style. And again, I mean, I'm, I'm as conservative as anybody in this room probably. But we're not talking about style because what is termed a new style is actually, is actually the catalyst to downstream change in doctrine and faith and practice. That's the dirty little secret in these modern religious movements. But God says the answer for Choice Hills Baptist Church to these, th these changes in society and in churches and in religion, God's answer in these last days, according to God's word, is hold fast to the traditions and to the word that you've been taught from the beginning. Don't move from that. And that's what our church needs to be doing. And we don't need to be ashamed of that, right? We need to hold fast to what the Scripture says because I'm telling you, there's pressure all around us to change it, to just move it. This morning I was talking to Pastor Stewart about this Acts 29 movement and the lady that my wife had been acquainted with was in that movement several years ago, six, seven years ago, and now that lady is denying the existence of a literal hell. Maybe she wouldn't have done that six or seven years ago, but this is the last days. That's what's going to happen. And God says, no, you just stand right where God's, God speaks and you unashamed, unashamedly stand there and you say, here I stand. Again, we're not talking about attitude. If one thing Pastor Stewart has, has emphasized is having the right attitude in the way we stand. But we cannot move in these days. We cannot move from what God has said. Can I get an amen? We cannot move from what God has said. Let's pray.